It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Margaret Thatcher once said, It pays to know the enemy, not least at some time you may have the opportunity to turn him into a friend. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has the basis of three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly. So let's get started. And Jonathan, can you take that off the speaker? I certainly can. Because your your volume was down okay, a little bit. Okay, is that better? Oh, that's so much better. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, Rick. Where are you? I'm in Delaware with my parents. Oh, nice. Everything good? Yeah, everything's good. They're doing well. Good, good. So what do we have online here for this morning? Well, Rick, our subject for this morning is... Why should we love our enemies? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this morning we talk about loving our enemies, and that's a hard one for anybody at any time, uh, and especially now, because you know what? We, we, live, we live in a time of great contradiction. There are voices that shout, rant, and insist for all in our society to embrace and accept everyone, no matter what their choices in life are, no matter what their actions in life may be. Their message in many ways is framed as one of love. Love for those who are opposite, love for those who are different. Then there are those like myself who say that while I'm willing to accept and love people regardless of their choices, I will not embrace anything that I believe is not moral or righteous. I will love the person, but not the action. Now for this, I have been called a hater. Called a hater by those who preach that you should embrace those who are different than you. Just let that set for a second. Now, Jesus told us to love our enemies. What exactly does that mean? Am I not loving enough? Do I need to change? So, Jonathan, a a tough subject on on the table this morning, loving our enemies, and um, it seems like I don't know. It seems like there are more people that seem to fall into or or, or to place themselves in categories that can be uh, construed as enemies more than ever before. I don't know. Uh, Do you get that that impression? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely you do. Well, especially in this world with uh, terrorism and and evil rampant. Right, right. And and then because we've got such a a diversity of things going on within uh, social culture, um, there, there, people seem to just sort of pile up on different sides of issues. So yeah, we're not going to talk politics, though, are we? No, no <laughs> politics. We'd love for you to call in and and give us your thoughts on the matter, but please, no politics because we have no room for politics here. There's room for politics on the rest of talk radio 
everywhere except for Christian questions. So, so let's get started with this, Jonathan, in terms of the subject matter, in terms of biblical perspective. Jesus said in, in, the, in the theme text that you read that we should love our enemies. Okay, Now, before he spoke those powerful words of the, the scripture you read about loving our enemies, he taught us several things that would help us be able to accept that particular teaching. So let's take a look at what Jesus teaches us to do when we're being treated badly. And we're going to work our way into loving our enemies. Jesus knows that this is a hard teaching, so we're going to work our way into it. So before we get to the scriptures, we are going to turn to Matthew 5 in just a moment. But let's set a little bit more of a backdrop here. When you think of someone historically, in in relatively recent history, who was an incredible example of loving those who hated him, I think of Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, for sure. He was a leader, he was a visionary, and he really understood what it meant to live the love for your enemies. And we're going to refer back to uh, one of the uh, sermons that he, uh, that he gave uh, back November 17th, 1957. So that's even before I was born. Me too. <laughs> and uh, it may be a little bit hard to understand because obviously it's a very old recording. We will have the, the, the transcript of what we're, we're playing for you, though, in Seek Your Rewind, the full edition. So let's go to Martin Luther King, Jr., November 17th, 1957. That is a little tree planted on a little hill, and on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came in this world. Never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no, it is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity to see the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is on the way. It is an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy, a generation depending on physical violence, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. And I, he is a poet. I, I could just listen to him speak all of the time because he, he has a way of weaving profound teaching into the into the practicality of life, you know, in the world in which we live, back in 1957, when atomic and nuclear energy were just be, really beginning to get to, to 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 gain steam, he's looking at those things and saying, "Yes, you look at these things as as forces of great great power." But I'm telling you that a man who hung on a tree centuries and centuries ago told us that the greatest power, the greatest moving power in the universe, is the power of love, and Wow. <laughs> How so, deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's saying, look, you've got to see things through the lens, through the telescope of that experience way back then. So let's go back to that individual. Let's go back to Jesus, as, as Martin Luther King Jr. was alluding to, and uh, drop in on the Sermon on the Mount. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount, everybody thinks about it, and they think about the Beatitudes, you, yes. you know, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But there's a whole lot more to that. And if you remember, Jesus is talking directly to his disciples, but then you have the masses of people listening in. So this was a message to his disciples primarily. Everybody else could gain something from it. Uh, and he is teaching them, 
he's working them up to the loving your enemy. So let's start with Matthew five thirty eight through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Okay, so Jesus is, I mean, th- this is a pretty dramatic saying here. He's, I mean, does this mean that we just let evil run roughshod over you? Like, okay, just stand there so you can get beat up and it smile. Sounds like it. You smile it while like you're it, getting beat to a pulp. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so let, let's go to just a, a commentary to, to just put this in a little bit of perspective. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Our Lord's own meek, yet dignified bearing, when smitten rudely on the cheek, found in John eighteen twenty two and 23, and not literally presenting the other, is the best comment on these words. It is the preparedness after one indignity, not to invite, but to submit meekly to another, without retaliation, which this strong language is meant to convey. So the suggestion is he's not saying, you know, when, when you're in that situation, that you look at your enemy and say, okay, now hit me here. Because, you know, it almost sounds like that. And people, people who want the Bible to not make sense... Take a look at, 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 at things that are spoken in Scripture like this and say, see, Jesus is saying, you know, make sure you get yourself beat up every day. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying be meek and be humble about it. He's saying don't position yourself into the, into the place where you are going to fight back. That's what and, he's saying. And isn't our fleshly tendency to protect ourselves and to... Well, of course it is. And, you know, it's not to say that we shouldn't try and protect ourselves either. You know, it's not. So the idea is to place yourself in a position of humility. That's what it's saying. Okay. And that's the beginning of this step by step teaching, getting to the point of loving our enemies. Let's go to Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And he will save you. Okay. So there's a an admonition exactly the same along the same lines. Look, don't go down the road of saying, I'll get back at you. That is something that's really important here. So what's our first lesson? Endure harshness that is physical. Okay. Stand for and speak for what is right, but do not retaliate in like manner. Rise above what the law of the Old Testament would have allowed you to do. Because that's what Jesus said. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was the law. Everybody had the right to exact justice in, in that way. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go higher than that. I want you as my follower to do something different in, in, in a higher sense. Jonathan, let's go to another soundbite now. This is from CBS News in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, in April of 2015. And we're going to break this story up into, into pieces. And the story is framed uh, about, it says, how two bitter enemies became friends. Okay, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just about a year ago. Let's listen to the introduction here. We end the week with Steve Hartman and a confrontation between a cop and a criminal. It may sound like the start of an all-too-familiar story, but this one takes a couple of unexpected turns on the road. They were the bitterest of enemies. For more than a decade, here on the streets of Milwaukee, two men shared a mutual disgust. One was a hard-nosed cop named Ray Robakowski. 
I wasn't a social worker, I was a police officer. My job was to take care of what we needed to be taken care of. Which is why you didn't like him. Oh, definitely didn't. The other? No. A drug dealer and gangbanger named Jacob Macklin. Jacob got arrested so many times you can watch him grow old in his mug shots. All right, so you got the introduction there. You got two guys on two different sides of every issue. Now, look, one guy was in the right, and the other guy was in the wrong. Absolutely. Okay, you got a drug dealer, a gangbanger, and all of this stuff. He's he's a he he's always getting in trouble, and and they showed in in the video several different mugshots, and you can see how he's getting older because he was always in trouble. So one's in the right, and one's in the wrong. You know, it's one of those things you say, okay, there is a right and a wrong here. That's an important part of the story. Uh, we'll see how it, it, it goes further and it develops. So we'll come back to that. Let's go back to Matthew 5 now. We read Matthew 5, 38 and 39. Let's go to verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So again, is Jesus saying just give up everything that's rightfully yours to somebody else? Again, let's go to a couple of commentaries on this, Jonathan. First, let's go to Gil. But will wrangle and quarrel in a private way in order to take away thy coat by force and violence. Let him have thy cloak also. Do not forbid or hinder him from taking it. Okay, so there's this. He's suggesting that this is more of a private type of a quarrel. And then Alford has a, a couple of other things to say just in terms of the context of debt and so forth. Take away, that is, in pledge for a debt. Exodus 22.6, coat, the inner and less costly garment, cloak, the outer and more valuable, used also by the poor as a coverlet by night. So in the Old Testament, it was not allowed to take someone's outer coat overnight because you were exposing them to the elements and, and just was not allowed by the law. So Jesus is saying you have to be willing, again, to be humble here. There's, a, there's this humility that he's teaching us in these two previous lessons to learning to love our enemies. Let's go to Luke 6.29. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it, you know it, there, there's this sense that Jesus is saying you have to be willing to let Go. First Corinthians six seven, and then we gotta oh, head to a break here in a second. Actually, then it is already a deceit for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? So, in the first lesson, Jonathan, it was endure harshness that's physical. What's the second lesson here that Jesus is teaching us? Endure harshness that is related to your stuff. Okay. <laughs> Don't enter into the personal petty wrangling of life, even if it costs you, live above it. So Jesus is setting a tone for living above the things that naturally and normally happen in our everyday lives. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, why should we love our enemies? Coming up, is Jesus teaching us to be pushovers? Should we be? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Why Should We Love Our Enemies? We're live 
Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us on your app. Okay, so why should we love our enemies? Well, the first answer to that question, Jonathan, is because Jesus said so. And, <laughs> and really, if you had no other reason than that, it should be enough. But Jesus not only says so, he shows us by his example, and he works us into the ability to love our enemies by teaching us other things first. And Rick, in that first Corinthians scripture we just read about don't do, yes. take people um, to court, in this day and age, people are so happy. And, and that goes against the norm, not suing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're right. And, and that is it really the essence of what Jesus is teaching us here is, look, I don't want you to be like everybody else. If you're going to be my footstep follower, people should be able to look at you and see that there's a difference in how you deal with things that go wrong in life. Okay, and so he, he talked to us about, you know, when somebody is physically uh, uh, being nasty to you, you should act differently than other people. If somebody is being nasty to you in relation to your stuff, you should act differently than other people. Now let's go to verse 41 of Matthew 5. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now that word forces is really not a very good translation. The word force actually means to impress into public surface. Okay, to employ as a courier, and, and there's a good example of that in Matthew 27, 32, an example everybody's familiar with. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear Jesus' cross. So pressed into service is the same kind of thing. He was pushed into a, a service that needed to be done. So Jesus is saying that, you know, if somebody you know, takes you by, he's not saying if somebody takes you by the scruff of the neck, and forces you to walk a mile, walk too. That's not the picture. The picture is you are being pressed into service into a, into a helpful fashion. Now he's saying you need to go further. So what, what's our third lesson here in preparation for learning to love our enemies? Well, Rick, it's endure inconvenience regarding your time and effort. All right. So Jesus is saying serve in a way that is beyond expectations. He's telling us again and again and again with these three pre-lessons to loving your enemy, you need to be different than everybody else. You need to set a higher example. You need to live by a higher standard. You need to do things that people are going to do a double take and say, did you see what they just did? Did you hear what they just said? Did you see how they just acted? That's amazing. Not like, oh, did you see that? But that's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. That's what we're looking for. Okay, before we get a little further, let's go back to the story of the two, uh, the two bitter enemies. We had uh, Ray, the, uh, the, the career cop, and Jacob, Jacob the career criminal. Okay, so let's, uh, we, we've been introduced to them. Let's see how it is that the two begin to develop some kind of a relationship. And it was that career thug and this officer who sat down one day over a cup of coffee. The district attorney's office arranged it. The meeting was to see if cop and criminal could work together and come up with a way to get out of this vicious cycle. But neither guy was buying it. Ray was only here because his boss made him come. And Jacob was tricked into coming, told he had a job interview. So they basically just glared at each other the entire time. <laughs> can you even, Not good. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine. They, the only times they had ever met before this 
were when 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 the the the, the cop was was apprehending the criminal, and so they're supposed to sit down over a cup of coffee and make nice with each other. I mean, you think, wait, <laughs> who whose idea is this? And you know, it, it's a brilliant idea. We're going to watch it unfold throughout the program uh, because what it does is it is it it's looking for something different. It's looking for something higher, and that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us in in these words in Matthew chapter five. So, folks, we're talking about. Loving your enemies. If you have a thought, an example, question, whatever, 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget about our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And uh, interact with us on our Facebook, and you can tweet us at CQ Net Radio. Okay, let's go back Matthew chapter five, verse forty-two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Okay, so now does that mean that anybody who asks anything from you should just give it to him and and not think about it? Uh, I don't think so. No, no. Let, let's do another little commentary here. Uh, let's. Wh- what did Russell say on this? Not that we should lend to anybody who asks for a loan of money or goods, but that we should not turn away from those in need. So Jesus is saying, pay attention to your environment. Be careful to make sure that you live in a way that is helpful and considerate of everyone around you. Let's go to Matthew twenty-five, thirty-five, and 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So Jesus in this in this parable is explaining the kind of attitude, and that's really what these lessons are. They're attitudes from which we can grow into loving our enemies. So the fourth lesson here, Jonathan, is what? Willingly help those in need, even at personal cost. And I think Jesus is saying, have your eyes and heart open to those individuals who may be needy and be someone who they can go to for help. And isn't, wouldn't that be a, a, a great way to be remembered? Oh, yeah, I remember that guy, Jonathan. He was the one that when people got into trouble, they would go to him. And, and Rick, there, there is a danger, though. Um, as you look in your environment, there could be those... Um, people that are begging on street corners that you know, aren't really in need, but they're you know, taking advantage of people for maybe their drug addiction or, or for whatnot. And uh, in our area, oftentimes you see them on their smartphones hiding behind their sign talking to somebody, and then they drive away in a sob, yeah. and you say, do they really need help? <laughs> yeah, well, the answer is no. And, and you're right. You have to be very, very careful with these things. And we want to be able to communicate goodness, though. That's, yes, we do. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Communicate goodness, communicate a heart that's willing to give, communicate acceptance wherever it's possible. But no, you shouldn't give a, a, a nickel to somebody in, that you just described because they're just, they're just taking advantage of other people and people's good nature. And there's, you're right, there's a ton of that around um, that I don't know if it was that quite so common in Jesus' day. So we want to be willing to have these attitudes. So this is what brings us to the idea of, okay, love your enemies. So now, 
What's Je- what is Jesus teaching about our response to those who may give reason to be viewed as our enemies? He says in these four lessons, endure physical harshness, don't be petty regarding your stuff, serve with vigor and beyond expectations, and touch those in need. He's put these four lessons in place, and now with these lessons in place, we can now be ready for the hardest one of all. And each one of these lessons, Jonathan, can be difficult. Oh, for sure. Because you look at it and say, what do you mean I should take abuse? What do you mean I should, I should not fight back? What do you mean that, that I should just always be willing to give without anything coming back to me? Like, you know, what's up with that? Yeah, letting go of control and just yeah. submitting. Yeah, and, and Jesus is, is, is adamant about these things. And now he gets further and says, okay, with these things in mind... Now I'm going to give you the real lesson. It's like, okay, what do you mean the real lesson? Isn't this enough already? No, it's not. Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, so let, let, let's take these verses apart a little bit and, and see what they're really saying. First of all, he says, again, you have heard that it was said. Now, the last time he said that in this context, he was quoting from the law. Right? An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's right. This time... And it is... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, this time, he is not quoting from the law. He is quoting a Jewish tradition. Because nowhere in the law does it say you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jewish tradition took the idea of, of, of justice and created that love your neighbor, hate your enemy kind of thing. So Jesus is attacking the Jewish tradition and he's saying, you know, you've heard it said, just the way he was saying, talking about the law that God gave previously. And he said, you know what, I'm going to tell you to do something higher than that. I want you to love your uh, love your enemy now what what kind of love is this this is agape love uh rick that's selfless love all right now when when we think of that how, how is that different because you know th- there's different types of love and and there's one uh, other basic kind of love that we talk about a lot in scripture yeah uh philadelphia love fraternal love is, is different uh uh, this is the highest form of love, the agape love, the selfless love. It's the love that God has and Jesus has. Right, right. And it's not necessarily the get in the bunker with the guy kind of love. No, it's not. But it's being willing to give without getting something back kind of love. Okay, when you get in the bunker with the guy kind of love, what you're saying is, I'll protect you and you protect me. We are in this together. Jesus isn't suggesting we have to we have to go to that degree with our enemies because you get in the bunker with them they're going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> so he's saying I want you to have this higher form of love that's willing to give to them. Just be willing to give to them. Don't worry about getting anything back. Don't worry about supporting one another. You just be the one that gives. That's the first key lesson here, okay? So the, the next point is what? To love an enemy dissolves any potential traces of vengeance a characteristic that would have had the potential to grow in the previous four lessons. Okay, the traces of vengeance, traces of getting back, traces of retaliation, all of those things Jesus was dealing with in the previous four lessons. Now you get here and he says, love your enemies. It wipes away any possibility 
Because like you said, this is the kind of love that is giving without taking. This is higher. This is harder. This is more difficult. And this is necessary if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. What, what's next? Well, then he says to bless and pray for those who hate and abuse you uh, and, tr- and be truly accomplished based upon our striving for the selfless love towards them. Okay, you can't bless and pray for somebody unless you really are selfless toward them, especially somebody who's been, been, been bad to you. Okay, you can't do that unless you really rise above your own human emotions. And then what's the next little uh, next point? It's be like God. Oh, yeah, God great. Is, <laughs> God is good and just to all, as shown in the cycles of nature. Right, and he says, because I send, God sends rain on the righteous and then on the unrighteous. So it's saying, look, you've got to rise above. You've got to be willing to give to all, and you've got to be willing to bless all. Well, that's easy to say, Jonathan. It's really hard to do. It is. So, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. We'd love to hear from you on loving your enemy. So now, now let's look at a practical application of the matter spoken by somebody who was not perfect. Because, you know, we're hearing these words from Jesus, and he's perfect. And you can look at this and say, well, it's easy because, you know, Jesus can say it because he's perfect and I'm not. And, you know, how, how could I do what Jesus did? So let's hear from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Romans twelve fourteen to 17. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Okay, we're going to really focus a little bit on verse 17 for a minute here. Then we're going to go back to verses 14 to 16 in the next segment. But we want to go to another another soundbite, Jonathan. This is entirely different. This is from Pastor Tim Chaddock. And he did a, a session on what does it mean to love your enemies. And he's talking about verse 17 of Romans 12. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And he comes up with an interesting way of explaining this that we're going to work with because... It's, it's almost shocking in some ways, but it's really, really important. So let's listen. What exactly is love for our enemies according to Romans chapter 12, 17 through 21? And I think you'll be surprised at what some of these things say. We'll, we'll do this section briefly, but just as a starting point. First of all, to love your enemy is to blame your enemy. Interesting. To love your enemy is to blame your enemy. Notice the context. Paul calls evil, evil. He calls an enemy, an enemy. He calls it what it is. When you forgive someone, and I wonder if you've ever thought about it like this, to forgive is to blame. When you forgive someone, you're blaming them. You're not pretending that they didn't do anything wrong. You're not pretending that no evil existed. You are blaming them. That's uh, that sounds weird, doesn't it? It does. But it's very powerful and very true. Blame is acknowledgement of an action. It does not need to imply emotion or retaliation. See, now that's hard. Yeah, and and we're going to need to develop that obviously as we go through this program, but just wanted to plant the seed here right now. Be blameful. <laughs> this is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is why should we love our enemies? Coming up, to blame someone kind of sounds petty. How can our blaming be good and godly? 
That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Why Should We Love Our Enemy? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so Jonathan, love your enemies, a hard lesson. The Apostle Paul is agreeing with Jesus. Darn, now we have to really do it because the imperfect guy (laughs) says to do it too. He's not giving us any excuse. He's not giving us any lower pathway, any easier way. He's saying, look, you got to do this. You just got to rise up above yourself, beyond yourself, and do this. So let's watch again. Let's reread Romans 12. 14 through 17, and, and watch how Jesus follows the pattern that, uh, that I'm sorry, that how Paul follows the pattern that Jesus had laid out in Matthew chapter 5. We spent a couple of segments on those few verses. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Okay, so these verses come right after the verses about sacrifice and playing your role within the true church. Verses 14 to 16, really kind of summing them up. Rather than retaliate, bless. That's just what Jesus said. Enter into others' realities, whether they are happy or sad. Don't play favorites. Don't be proud. Be humble. Just what Jesus said in all those lessons before he said, love your enemies. So the Apostle Paul is just using different words, different examples, and saying exactly the same thing. This sets the table for appropriate blaming. Okay. (laughs) All right, because remember at the end of the last segment, it says, you know, you have to blame your enemies. Yes, you do. To blame means to say there is something that was wrong here. It needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be recognized. But it it, blame doesn't mean, oh, you did it, you nasty, nasty person. It just simply means you did it. You can leave you nasty, nasty person off. Okay. Got it. The Got idea it. is to set appropriate blame. Verse 17 says, call evil what it is. Evil. Don't be afraid. Blaming done with godliness. That's the way we need to blame. All right? That's hard to do. That's yeah, really hard. But it's required of us. Let's go back to uh, another soundbite from... Uh, Tim Chadwick, uh, he's the one who brought up the idea of blaming, so we're going to blame him for that. <laughs> and I blame him in a very good way because it's a very profound way to look at this. And he's explaining further what, how to properly blame. So to love our enemies begins by blaming them. To not blame their evil, to not call evil what it is, is not love at all. It's not love at all. It's not loving to someone to pretend that their evil does not exist. It's not loving at all. Their evil and his offense to God, it's harmful to themselves, and it's harmful for other people. 
Do you think it's loving to pretend that it doesn't exist? Absolutely not. But usually we all say this, don't we? Oh, I love them too much. I just don't want to tell them what they're doing is wrong. No, you love yourself too much because you don't want confrontation. You just don't want to deal. You love yourself too much. But if you really love them, you would call evil what it is. That is such a good way to understand this, that by properly blaming, and I can't stress enough the proper part of this thing, appropriateness in the blame, it is saying, look, it, it's really saying to that person, you know, we can say blame them or we can say help them take responsibility for their actions. Uh, I like it that way better. Yeah, well, so do I. And that's the way I, I always talk about things like this. You know, it's, yes, people need to take personal responsibility. We've always, you know, advocated that. This is just a, using different words to say the same thing. But you, you aren't showing somebody love if you just let things happen without bringing it forth and bringing it to their attention. doesn't mean you retaliate. doesn't mean you get angry. doesn't mean you try to beat them down. It means you want them to help, you want to help them see and grow up and out of whatever it is that has happened. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about loving our enemies and how truly difficult it is. Our number is 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. Okay, so Jonathan, there's a lot of other sources out there in the world, out there online, that really verify the scriptural teachings that Jesus put in place here. We're just going to touch on one source. It's a very different kind of source. Uh, it's from a um, uh, sort of an Eastern religion uh, uh, approach. It's from goodlifezen.com, okay? And it's seven steps to turn your enemies into friends. And as we just read through these seven steps... See how what Jesus taught us is reflected through these steps. Refuse to be their enemy. Okay, so there's, you're, you're taking a stand right there in, in a very different kind of way. Change the label. Okay, so rather than looking at them as an inherent enemy, you change the label of the relationship. See yourself in them. Be willing to be humble enough to say, they're imperfect, I'm imperfect, I could see myself, you know, maybe in a different circumstance, but being somebody else's enemy and not really wanting to necessarily be that way. Keep talking. In other words, communicate. Disarm them. Now, that's not physical, incidentally. That's not, what that is, is, that, is saying disarm them from the standpoint of don't give them something about you to fight with. Overwhelm them. Overwhelm them. Now, again, is that physical? No, that's overwhelm them with goodness and kindness and communication. Conquer their hearts with unrelenting love. So this is what Jesus was telling us. And you can look at world religions that are focused on goodness and kindness and, 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 and coming together in peace, and you're going to see the same things that Jesus taught us. So, I mean, look, you can go all these other places. Just, look, just go back to the scriptures and do what Jesus said. I think that really is the bottom line here. I just thought it would be interesting to, to hear it from a completely different perspective and have it verify what Jesus is teaching us. Let's go back to our two guys, uh, Jacob, the, uh, the the career criminal, and um, what, was the, what was the police officer's name? His name was, wait a minute, I, uh, Ra, uh, Roy, or Ray, Ray rather. And remember, they had been forced to have coffee together, 
and it had been at odds for years and years and years. So let's see what happens next. What were you thinking? You're going to screw up, and I'm going to find you and put you back. He was dead set on putting you back in jail. Yeah. I'm glad he changed his mind. Well, you changed his mind. Yeah. Eventually, over the next couple months, Jacob proved to Ray that he wanted to get a job and turn his life around. He sent me on maybe 14 or 15 interviews in two weeks. And one of them was Community Warehouse. So this is interesting because the, these two guys are are kind of having these meetings regularly between them, and they don't like each other at all. And, They're bitter enemies, right? And Ray, the cop, says, "Look, I just know he's going to screw it up, and I'm going to have to go bring him in again. You know what am I wasting my time for?" Jacob does want to change; he just doesn't know how. So it takes several of these get-togethers for Jacob to convince Ray, look, I do want to change. I do. I just need a chance. I just need a chance. So Ray finally says, okay, and he sets up these, all of these job interviews for him to give him a shot. So you can see the coming together and the communicating and the finding of common ground. Now, Ray is not looking at Jacob and saying, well, okay, I'm going to pretend you didn't commit these crimes. Oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) He's looking at him saying, you're in a mode of committing these crimes. Something's got to change, and I'll I'll help you if you're willing to help yourself. So there's this coming together. So, again, we're going to have to go back in the second hour, see what happens with that story. It's pretty cool. Let's go back to the blame thing, though, Jonathan. Appropriate blame. Appropriate godly blame. Stephen, remember Stephen? He was stoned for the sake of uh, of, of the cross. Uh, he, before he was stoned, was defending himself before the Sanhedrin. So this is a very long account, so we're just going to read from one of the commentators to sum up what was happening before he was stoned. This is from Barnes. He was accused of blasphemy in speaking against the institution of Moses and the temple, that is, against everything held sacred among the Jews. To meet this charge, he gives a statement at length of his belief in the Mosaic religion, in the great points of their history, and in the fact that God had interposed in a remarkable manner in defending them from dangers. By this historical statement, he avows his full belief in the divine origin of the Jewish religion, and thus, indirectly, repels the charge of blasphemy. So Stephen is accurately and emotionally and clearly reflecting Jewish history back to these members of the Sanhedrin. And they're liking the history they're, because it's their history and it's something they look back upon with, with great esteem. And he's showing them, look, I believe this just like you. I'm not blaspheming against the law or against God. You and I, we have the same roots. And so he is showing them his innocence, absolutely showing them his, in his, his innocence in a very detailed way. So now, after he has shown them his innocence and has shown them their history and they have been able to see him through different eyes, he is not afraid to blame them. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 58. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. 
you who receive the law as ordained by angels, and yet do not keep it. Is he blaming them? Oh, he is, Rick. Very harshly. He is, but he has set the context for saying, God is with us, but here's what you've done to that. And he's not afraid to place blame where it belongs. He's being honest. Yeah. And and very in a very very difficult uh, environment, he's being honest, deeply honest, and it's going to cost him. So what happens? Verses fifty four to fifty six. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, "Behold, I see the heavens opening up." And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So now, but, now, 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 hang on. See, okay. see now he's it's, it's like he's adding insult to injury because now he's, oh, yeah. he's talking about a vision that he sees, and these guys are livid because he has blamed them, and they don't want to be blamed. So what happens? But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So, what do we have here in this, in this event, in the stoning of Stephen? We have, he is being accused of blasphemy. He goes before his accusers and tells them, I have not done what you have said I have done, but I need to tell you that what you have done is you've rejected the Messiah. Well, Rick, the blame was obvious and necessary, wasn't it? It was. It was incredibly obvious, and it was incredibly necessary. And so you look at this, and you know, then they stone him. So you think, well, did Stephen do anything else but blame them? And in the next hour, Jonathan, we have to cover that part of this. Because if you are trying to love your enemies, and all you hear from us this morning is, well, Rick and Jonathan said we should blame them, then <laughs> that is only the beginning of the story of loving your enemies. And folks, if you stop with the blame, you're not listening to Jesus. You're just listening to the hardness of your own heart. That's not where we should stop with this in the second hour. We have to finish the story. It's not complete. Do not stop here. Do not pass go. Do not collect your $200 if you're playing Monopoly. So for the second hour, folks, it's about properly godly blaming and then what comes after it is what jesus taught us and how to love our enemies so we'll be back after the news and all that but till then for jonathan and rick and christian questions why should we love our enemies lots of reasons and it's all good we'll be back soon think about it It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Abraham Lincoln once said, The best way to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. And the best way to make someone a friend is to give them that accolade in your mind. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And our subject this morning, Rick, is why should we love our enemy? And our 
screen, uh, our theme text is Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we've got just a little bit of a task on the table this morning, nothing too serious, just learn to love your enemies. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> it is, it is really, really is a difficult task, and Jesus spends enough time preparing us for that task, and so we can learn it and absorb it. The Apostle Paul reminds us about it. So it's, it's a very difficult task, but it's a very important one because it's mentioned several times in the New Testament. Uh, before we get back to just recapping what we talked about in the first hour, Jonathan, let's go to another section of that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. speech on Love Your Enemies from November 17th, 1957. And again, this may be a little bit muffled, but try and focus on what he says because it is profound in terms of putting things in a Christian perspective. So this morning, as I look into your eyes and into the eyes of all of my brothers in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, men of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom. We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we had the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us, and we even prayed for those persons who despitefully used us. So he's talking about living Christianity in your life. He's talking about living. And, you know, Jonathan, he used some words in that, in that part of his sermon that are a little unusual. He said, you know, people of, of, of a great recalcitrant bent and, you know, need to learn to matriculate. And, and what does that mean? Well, you mean you don't know what that means? I, look, when no. my son was young and give me a hard time, I would say to him, Tim, stop being so uh, uh, recalcitrant. <laughs> sure. And why don't you focus on matriculating, for goodness sakes? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, recalcitrant means to stubbornly refuse to obey the rules. And to matriculate means to become a student of a school. And what, what Martin Luther King Jr. was saying is, let's not, even those who are recalcitrant, those who are stubborn, we want to show them a higher way. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling us. So, in our recap of the first hour, Jesus knew that teaching us to love our enemies would need to be done in stages. So, so he does it in, in Matthew 5. He teaches us in stages. That's right, Rick. And the first was, endure physical harshness. Also, don't be petty regarding your stuff. Serve with vigor and beyond expectations, and touch those in need. Now, built on top of these things comes loving your enemy with a benevolent love, with that selfless love. True and benevolent love requires blame to be appropriately attached to those who do wrong. Now, again, warning, ending with blame is not the whole story when it comes to loving your enemies. So you have to go to another step. So... Before we go to another step, uh, Jonathan, let's go to the phone. I think we have Julius on the line. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hey, Jonathan. Good and, morning. And uh, you have a very, very sensitive subject, I'm sure. Yep. Much debate here. Well, anyway, here's my two cents for what it's worth. Number one, 
Jehovah God can be harsh to protect the innocent and society. Deuteronomy chapter 19. God is very uh, uh, sensitive about that. Protect the innocent. Number two, Peter, the Apostle Peter, sums up a different setting and the standard for the disciples of our Lord Jesus in uh, 1 Peter 3.14, uh, paraphrasing, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. That, that is a challenge. Uh, that's the Apostle Peter learning from the Lord Jesus. The ultimate challenge here is defining, defining God's justice. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. That was a good day, Bob. So, he, he's right. God does defend those who are innocent. Now, sometimes that defense doesn't look like it's defense, especially in this world. But understand that the overall plan of God has that in mind all the time under every circumstance, no matter what. So we've ended, Jonathan, the first hour with blame your enemies. Go blame them. But well, what's next? <laughs> right. You can't stop with blame. And blame can't be something out of emotion. It has to be something out of justice, like Julius was saying. You know, call it what it is. Um, so let's go now to Pastor Tim Chaddock, because he's the one who told us about blaming. So let's see what he says comes next in the process here, because this is a really important step. Secondly... To love your enemy is not only to blame them, but it's to spare them. It's to spare them. It is to forego retaliation and retribution on a personal level. To spare them. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. Uh, Miroslav Volf, in his book, Free of Charge, says that forgiveness is to condemn the deed, but to spare the doer. You're calling evil exactly what it is and you're naming the person who did it. They're guilty, but you are sparing them personal retribution and retaliation. That is incredibly important in this learning to love your enemies. Spare them personal retribution and retaliation. Let it be left in God's hands. Sparing those who do evil. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 now. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but let room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is a difficult step. This is the most logical, sensible step we could ever take, but it's difficult. It requires us to give away, to just freely give away our perceived right to retaliate. That's hard. And, and notice, I called it a perceived right. Mm, I like that. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have a right to retaliate. Why? Because Jesus said you don't. <laughs> That's why. Because you're supposed to live at a higher, to a higher standard. God will take care of it. Why would we give away that right to retaliate? Well, again, let's go back to Jesus' teachings, because each time we go back to them, we're getting, hopefully getting a little bit more out of it. Let's go back to Matthew 5, again, verses 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, so so loving our enemies requires placing appropriate blame, but not with retaliation in mind. It requires proving this selfless blaming by sparing those who may be our enemies, our retaliation, and by praying for that other person to prove that we are in line with God dealing out all judgment and not ourselves dealing out specific judgments. So the way to love your enemies is to say, okay, I've got to be in line with God's will. And God, it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's what it's saying. That's the, that's the end result of this. That's why this is required of us, and that's why it's so difficult. And Rick, isn't that exactly what Stephen did? See, and that is the beauty of this. In the at the end of the first hour, we were talking about Stephen really blaming the Sanhedrin for the things that they had done that were wrong. They rejected Messiah. They were they were completely off. And then after he does that, and after he sees the vision, what happens next? Acts seven fifty nine to sixty. They went on stoning Stephen, as he called on the Lord and said. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen is sparing them. He's saying to now now is he saying don't they don't have don't let them be at all accountable for killing me? I think what he's saying is look, I am not holding them accountable for doing this to me. They just don't know any better right now. You are the master of true vengeance and true justice. I leave it to you. And so he is sparing them. He is not taking to his grave his his want to retaliate. Like, oh, you hit me with stones, wait till I get a hold of you. If only I could show you how mad I am. He didn't go that way. He went the same way Jesus did on the cross. Exactly. And, and it's such a beautiful picture of, of, of rising above, of living differently, of, 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 of being, being more than. And that's what we're supposed to be. As Christians, we're supposed to be more than those around us. Higher standards, higher levels of living, higher sacrifice, higher humility. Let's go back, let's go back to the story about um, our, our two friends, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the felon, the convicted felon, and uh, the, the cop who were now finally getting together. And the, the convict, uh, Jacob, is, try, is convincing Ray, I really do want to change. So Ray is now helping him, gives him, sets him up with several job interviews. Let's see what happens after this. Community Warehouse is a nonprofit home improvement store that hires ex-cons and teaches them job skills. Which one did they pay for? Jacob started working here eight years ago and is now on the management team. To this day, he can't thank Ray enough. You grateful? Very, very, very. Oh, very, very. He said very, very at least half a dozen times. Very much so. So what happens is Ray opens a door and Jacob walks through it. He takes hold of the opportunity and makes something of the opportunity and then makes something of himself. What a great story. It is. because. And how did he get there? He got there because Ray, while he didn't want to, was put in a position to say, look, you've got to have compassion for this man who's been your enemy. 
Jacob was put in a position to say, look, you want to be a, have a better life, you have to be willing to work with this man who you've considered as your enemy. And the two of them worked together, and now eight years later, Ray not only has a job, but he's part of the management team at this company, and you, you heard it in his voice, are you grateful? And he just couldn't stop saying, very. I am so, I'm very grateful. Very, very, very grateful. You get a sense of, this changed my life. Somebody reaching out to me, changed my life. Once we get into our heads the value of sparing those who call themselves our enemies or who would be perceived as our enemies, we begin to become walking epistles. 1 Peter three thirteen to 16 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So by standing in Christ, and this was the verse that Julius was alluding to earlier in his call, by standing in Christ we can properly and humbly represent truth and right. By so standing, those who oppose such things can see the things they previously did not perceive. So by standing above, by standing beyond, by doing something different, you produce the ability for a win-win where before all you had was a situation where everybody was against everybody else. Jesus taught us, love your enemies, here's how. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, why should we love our enemies? Coming up, so is truly sparing our enemies retaliation enough to get God's attention? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Why Should We Love Our Enemies? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, you know, and, and, and the question, you know, why should we love our enemies? Not only is it fulfilling our responsibility to be Christ-like, but it changes things. It absolutely changes things. You can help people see things they could not have seen if you are willing to step out, be vulnerable, be persecuted, and keep stepping out. And it can change the environment in which you live, and you can dramatically affect other people's lives for the good by loving your enemies and, and Jesus showed us that. He showed us that in his everyday, uh, in all of his experiences. Let's go back to um, our our uh, story about Ray and Jacob. Now Jacob has got a job and he's working for eight years, and he's at the you know he's one of the on, a, on the management team of this company. Uh, Ray, the, the 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 cop, helped him through this, and they apparently stayed in touch throughout this whole process as Jacob is is transforming his life because he had somebody to help him. Let's listen to what happens next. 
And as for that very helpful cop, he retired from the police force last year. But you still wanted to work. You wanted a job. Yeah. So who did you turn to for work? Ah, oh. <laughs> Jacob Macklin. <laughs> and he laughed. Now he held the cards. But, um, I mean, I wanted to be here. <laughs> Through Community Warehouse, with his new friend Jacob, Ray has now helped more than a dozen other ex-cons leave their past behind. That, to me, is just totally awesome. Isn't that amazing? You know, he, he's, he's, he's retired. He still wants to work. He still wants to be engaged. So he goes to the guy he used to, he used to incarcerate all the time. <laughs> because the two of them found the common ground of, of being better and decided to work together. And now they're great, great friends. And they're helping others at the same time. Love your enemies and you can change your environment. This is a classic example of that happening in this, little, in this one little story uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin just last year. So, Jonathan, let's take this idea, loving your enemies uh, and, and applying it. You know, sometimes you have an enemy that, that comes and goes in life. But re- what about those who you might perceive as your enemies that are always there? They're always in front of you. Well, the Apostle Peter takes this lesson to another level by applying it to everyday life just like that in 1 Peter two eighteen to 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if what you do, what is right, and suffer for it patiently and through patiently enduring it, this finds favor with God. So, so the Apostle Peter is saying, stand for serving with dignity and respect even if dignity and respect are not shown to you. That's a hard thing. He's using the example of slaves in those days serving their masters. And he's saying, serve with dignity and respect, even if you're not getting it. Because Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus. You stand for something higher. And Rick, in this day and age, it could be a boss and a, co- and a worker uh, fitting right into this picture. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. And, and you know, th- there's so much extra chatter that goes on in the workplace today that it's easy to have people form you know their alliances here and there and all of that and create these environments where where respect and dignity may not be shown but as a christian what it's saying is rise above that and show it and serve with those things this is this is loving those who act as enemies in an everyday environment it's a whole different level here because it's every day of your life why would you do this i mean why would you say okay you know, let me, let me just ignore them. I'll just I'll just ignore them. I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to you know be be loving and kind. I'll just ignore them and maybe they'll go away. Well, the Apostle Peter tells us there's more reason for this. There's a reason to do this. So we continue in First Peter chapter two with verses uh, twenty one and twenty to twenty three. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him 
who judges righteously. So when you say, oh, you know, why should I have to go to all those lengths and to be honorable and to, and to give uh, with respect and, and, and dignity when I don't get it? Well, Rick, that's because Jesus did it. <laughs> and again, if for no other reason that's the only reason we have, then so be it. We ought to grab a hold of that reason and try and apply it as best as we can in our everyday life. But, you know, the apostle is going further than that, though. He says he's leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Um, and you see, what you look at is not how Jesus just did that, but you look at the result of his doing that. You re- look at the result of God blessing him, and then God through him blessing the world. That's why you do it. Because if somebody is going to change things, it has to be those who follow after Jesus. You have to do things before the rest of the world wants them, before the rest of the world likes them, before the rest of the world cares about them. You have to be willing to change yourself here and now. And it's, it's about the, the changing of yourself, uh, and by so doing, you can then change your environment. You know, we'd all like to say, well, you know, boy, I would love for my environment to change. Great. (laughs) Then start with you. Right. (laughs) That's always the place to start because the biggest, and this may be hard to to, to swallow, but think about it. The biggest problem with with my environment is me. There you go. If I take complete personal responsibility for my contributions into that environment, let's see what can happen. Let's see what can happen. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about loving our enemies. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So let's continue, and folks, don't. If, also, if you'd like to leave us a message via the Christian Questions app, please do so. We'll see if we can get that on the air as well. The Apostle Peter continues. He's saying, okay, stand for serving with dignity and respect, because that's what Jesus did for the end result of blessing of all. And then he goes a little bit further, verses 24 and 25 of First Peter chapter 2. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. All right, so Jonathan, there's a couple of things in, the, in, in that part of the verse. First of all, by, by doing what the apostle is suggesting, you'll stand in Christ, like Christ, and be blessed. And this is going to bring us to the third point of loving our enemies. But before we go there, there's something else here. It says, he bore our sins uh, because we were straying like sheep. So what the apostle is really saying is, look, I'm teaching you to love your enemies. Jesus taught that to me. He's saying, but realize, you were enemies of God. God loved you before you could really approach him through sending Jesus. So I am teaching you to do what God and Jesus did for you. So you're not breaking any new ground. Wow, that's sobering. It is. You're not, you're not setting some great big precedent. You're following the example of God Almighty and his son that changed your life by dedicating Jesus' life to you and being willing to absorb your sins. Surely you can stand for dignity and respect when you don't get it because you've been given it. 
So again, why should we love our enemies? Because we were once enemies of God and God loved us. The grace of God. It is. It's incredible. So we've talked about proper blaming, right? You've got, mm-hmm. you've got to blame in a godly way. We've talked about sparing our judgment on, on, on those people that are appropriately blamed. Well, there's one more step to this whole process, one more really important step. So let's go back to Pastor Tim Chaddock uh, in his talk about what does it mean to love your enemies and find out what this third step is. But thirdly, to love your enemy is to bless them and to do good to them. So that's just a starting point of, of, of a real brief overview of what it means to love your enemy. Jesus did these things. He accused the enemy to his executioners who were nailing him to a cross. He said, Father, forgive them. What was he doing in that moment? He was blaming them. But he was also dying on the cross for their sins so that he could pardon them and he was doing good for them. To blame, to spare, and to bless. Blame, spare, and bless. And, you know, it's, it's blaming. That's the easiest part. The hard part of blaming is doing it appropriately. Yes. Sparing, not quite so easy because you have to say, okay, my personal retaliation is of no consequence and I'm throwing that away. Now, to bless is now, see, sparing is like sort of withholding something. Blessing is giving something. So it's a harder step, but it's, completes the transaction, if you will. Bless- and I, I love this, Rick. It's, it's like uh, loving your enemies' uh, training process yes. of how to deal with it. Right, exactly. This is, we are in, in training camp here. You know, it's, like, it's like loving your enemies' boot camp. And once you get to the point of being broken down enough so that you can, you can properly blame and learn to spare, then, only then, can you really truly bless. So let's go back to Romans 12 for the how-to on, on this blessing part. Uh, and just a note as we read verse 20, because we read Romans 12, 20, and 21. Verse 20 is a direct quote from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Romans 12, 20, and 21. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here is the blessing. This is such a powerful tool. If your enemy enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In for in so doing, now this is really kind of a weird statement. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> And, you know, there's been all kinds of debate on what that scripture actually means. And first of all, if you look at it in the context that the Apostle Paul is speaking it. Now he's quoting from Proverbs. Okay, yep, so he's yep. quoting an Old Testament scripture. But you have to say it's got to be a good thing because his very next statement, after he finishes quoting the verse, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's right. So it has to be a good thing. But how can. It possibly be a good thing to put burning coals of fire on somebody's head. I ask you, how is there any good in that? Jonathan, this is one of those phrases that it's really hard to tell exactly what it means. So, folks, we're going to give you a couple of suggestions through some research as to... There's maybe three, four, or five different ways of looking at it. Uh, These are a couple that... Personally, I, I kind of favor one of these these two that we're going to touch on. So first we're going to go to, and this is from HisKingdomProphecy.com, uh, Kenneth Samuel Wust, Wust um, was a noted 
New Testament Greek scholar, and this is what he wrote on this particular point of heaping burning coals on on their head. In Bible times, an Oriental needed to keep his hearth fire going all the time in order to ensure fire for cooking and warmth. If it went out, he had to go to a neighbor for some live coals of fire. These he would carry on his head in a container, Oriental fashion, back to his home. The person who gave him some live coals would be meeting his desperate need and showing him an outstanding kindness. If he would heap the container with coals, the man would be sure of getting home still burning. The one injured would be returning kindness for injury. So there is an an ancient tradition of actually giving somebody literal coals of fire to take home for their own home fire. Okay, so that that could be one way of looking up, uh, upon this and saying, "Wow, there is a great kindness given for something that was done evilly." There, there is another perspective that we want to share with you on this. This is from Robert Jewett's um, uh, commentary on Romans, and this is what he wrote: suggestions that since Proverbs draws on some Egyptian literature, it is probably that it refers to an Egyptian practice of a recipient person, a repentant person. I'm sorry, repentant person carrying on their heads some form of vessel with hot coals in it symbolizing their repentance. So it could be that it was a reference to something a little bit more ancient saying that this was a symbol of repentance. And so what if you try to apply that meaning in this scripture it says that when you have fed your enemy when you've given him water you have caused him to repent for the evil that he's done to you because you've been so kind and it gives them a sense of of carrying something different now of being repentant in attitude rather than harsh in attitude either way the point is you've done good to that individual that's right you have blessed them you have stepped outside of yourself. You've put blame appropriately, appropriately where it belongs. You have spared them your own animosity and your own, uh, your own uh, retaliation. And now, by withholding your own retaliation, you are able to give them something of great value. You are able to bless them. And when you bless someone, life can change. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Why Should We Love Our Enemies? Coming up, how do we bless our enemies? And what happens if it is not possible to bless them? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Because I feel You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Why Should We Love Our Enemies? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you don't have your app on your smartphone, just go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. So, Jonathan, as we are in our final segment of talking about loving our enemies, we have to remember that there's lots of people in our lives that are recalcitrant. 
and <laughs> we want to help them to matriculate into a, into a better way of living. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you got to listen to the earlier in the program. That was from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so let's finish our Matthew 5 context. Um, and what we see in Matthew 5, Jesus gives us some suggestions in terms of the blessing part of this thing. Matthew 5, now 46 through 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, that sounds tough. You are to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect? You know, I mean, how, how, you can't be perfect, but be complete. That's what the word really means. Be complete. In other words, this is the complete way of human interaction. This Open is, yourself up to others that you normally wouldn't. Right, right. So, so, and, and Jesus is saying, look, if you just greet only your brothers, you know, what more are you doing than others? It's not just greeting like, hey, how are you? you know, like, hey, what's up? That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Greeting in those days, you know, if you met somebody along the road and you greeted them, you would stop and you would engage with them. It wasn't a like, you know, sup and moving on. It was bigger. It was stronger. And, and Jesus is suggesting something uh, very powerful here in terms of, uh, of how we now look at our enemies. Actually, I just got a message uh, on the app. We overlook a lot when dealing with our friends and family. Maybe we can give our enemies the same leeway and benefit of the doubt. I like that. And that is a sense of putting them in a different perspective in your mind. That's how you can truly learn to love your enemy. And that's blessing them, isn't it? It is. And that's the point. The point is blessing them. Let's conclude the story. The story of the two enemies who became friends, Ray and Jacob. And we left off where now Ray works for Jacob at the, at the, at the Home Improvement Center. Uh, Jacob's been working hard and strong in his life for um, eight years now. So let, let's finish up uh, this story. Is Ray a different guy than he was when you first met Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, don't say that too loud. Oh, pretty loud. <laughs> Jacob, of course, is equally unrecognizable. Today, his only high-speed chases are around swing sets. He's got four kids and has vowed the cycle stops with him. All proof that if you can find the trust, sometimes your enemies can be your best allies. Steve Hartman, on the road in Milwaukee. What a great ending. Sometimes your enemies can become your best allies because you rise above the circumstances. And this is what Jesus is teaching us to do. And, you know, the blessing part. You saw how, how, how Ray was able to bless Jacob by helping him along the way. And then, yes, absolutely. And then Jacob, when it got to a point where he had something to give, he blessed Ray as well. And the two of them bless others. It's an, it's an incredible thing. Now, we're talking about blessing your enemy. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity to do that. Stephen, for instance, didn't get the opportunity to bless his enemies because he died. Okay, let, let, let's look at the end of that context. Acts chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. 
So it, it's a it's a sobering lesson because uh, Stephen never got to bless his enemies, and and we're gonna we're gonna put that down and pick it up in a, in a couple minutes here. But one of the lessons here, Jonathan, for us is make sure that you take the opportunity to do that because you never know what circumstances are going to change. And the opportunity may be fleeting and you have to jump on it when it's available and there's great blessing to you if you are willing to give it out to others. Now, dealing with love, loving your enemies is a difficult thing. And, and when we each week... We, we, we send out um, an email to a lot of our uh, uh, CQ team members and tell them, you know, here's what's coming up in the next few weeks. We want your input. We want your thoughts. And if you have personal experiences, we want to hear from you on them. So, Jonathan, we have one from Becca. She's a CQ team member uh, on a personal experience with an enemy of hers right now. And it's a, it's a tough story, very short, but it gives you a sense of the harsh reality of having to do this. On a completely practical side, I am dealing with my own enemy right now. The boss at my job is not really a good person. He lies. He treats people poorly, and it's really awful working for someone like that. This past week in a meeting with a number of my colleagues and myself, my boss essentially called me a liar in front of everyone for something that was not true, and I took some very deep breaths and was furious. After the meeting... And after I calmed down, I really did some thinking about Jesus and what he went through and the things he was called and what he endured. And I realized that what I am dealing with is very small in comparison. I know I won't be at this job forever, or much longer, hopefully. And this is not my life at stake, nor is it blasphemy like Jesus had to deal with it. In retrospect, What I should have done and what I need to do more of is pray every time I am confronted with my boss so that I can act in a way that is appropriate and representative of Jesus. And uh, it takes a lot to be able to say, hey, look, this is a struggle that I'm going through. And it's obviously a very real struggle. It's a very present struggle. And this typifies the kinds of things that we all deal with at one time or another and sometimes constantly in our lives. And so what have we learned here? How, how have we learned, okay, what would Jesus do? Jesus would put blame appropriately. He would spare them judgment at that moment in time. And he would bless. The big challenge is, how do you get to a point where someone who is so beating down harshly upon you, how can you get to a point of somehow or other blessing them? That's that, right, and not, and not reacting Right. Immediately. Right. And, you know, she said in in the writing there, you know, I had to take a few deep breaths and she was furious. And I can only imagine you being falsely accused in front of other people that you work with. That would, that would, you say, wait, 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 that's not, that's completely opposite as to what you're about. And yet her thought was, but see, Jesus went through this on a grand scale compared to what I'm going through. And sometimes when we see things like that, it says, you know what, I can deal with this. Because if Jesus went through so much, I can certainly deal with so little. And now the challenge is find a way to spare and to be a blessing. You know, okay, you're calling sin, sin. You're calling darkness, darkness. Great, do it in a godly way. But now, how do you go to those next two steps? So, very good practical example of having to deal with such difficult things. Uh, You know... Stephen, let's get back to Stephen, because, you know, he could not uh, bless his enemies. 
you think that he would have because he was of the mind to be able to do that. Sometimes, though, when circumstances, now not excuses, but circumstances make it so we cannot bless our enemies, we still will have that opportunity, but not now. In the future, though. In the future. That's part of this whole thing. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So that scripture gives us a sense of something bigger. And while it's, it doesn't say a lot, it really it's the last phrase of that scripture we wanted we want to dwell on here. It says, look, we sin. We have an advocate, and an advocate is one who stands by you, who represents you. And our advocate is Jesus, and he represents us with God. But he's saying that Jesus, the righteous, not only died for our sins, but he also died for the sins of the rest of the world. And that means that the rest of the world is in a position, maybe not now at this moment, but is is in a position where they can be blessed but just not yet. So, if you cannot bless your enemies now, now, I want to be clear on this, because it's like, well, okay, so Rick and Jonathan are saying you can, we can bless our enemies in the future, you don't have to worry about it now. Well, no. wait a minute. Right. No. <laughs> the point. <laughs> no. No. Remember what Jesus did with Malchus, the, 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 uh, the soldier, when they were taking him that night before his crucifixion. Malchus's ear was cut off. Jesus healed him. He blessed him. He blessed his enemy and allowed his enemy to then take him to crucifixion. That's blessing your enemy. Take the opportunity now. But if you don't have the opportunity, not because of an excuse, but because of circumstances, let's look forward to what the future is. And let's look forward, as we read this next scripture, let's remember the death of Stephen and the blessing he could not then give and put Stephen in the context of this scripture with ourselves. Romans eight eighteen to 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the cre- creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So what it's saying is the creation is suffering but will be blessed and the hope is for the the expectation that they will be set free from slavery to, uh, to sin and corruption just like we have been set free then we can bless them. So no matter what, the blessing can happen. Jonathan, let's go back to the ending prayer of Martin Luther King's sermon on Love Your Enemies from November 17, 1957. Oh God, help us in our lives and in all of our attitudes to work out this controlling force of love and this controlling power that can solve every problem that we confront in all areas. Oh, we talk about politics. We talk about the problems facing our atomic civilization. 
grant that all men will come together and discover that at the cross of Christ we will solve these problems. The international problem, the problems of atomic energy, problems of nuclear energy, yes, even the race problem. Let us join together in a great fellowship of love and bow down at the feet of Jesus. Give us this strong determination in the name and spirit of this Christ, we pray. So you have that, that sobering look at joining together in the love of Jesus to overcome great evils and great darknesses. And that's what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. He was a classic example of loving your enemy here and now and blessing them to curse you. What a, what, that's, it was amazing. That's a, that is inspiration. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation to apply wherever we can now, but certainly to the entire world of mankind, every man, woman, and child who has ever lived later. That's the beauty of the plan of God through Jesus. That's the beauty of learning to love your enemies now. Because if you're going to truly follow Christ and learn to love your enemies now, truly love them, which means to blame appropriately, to spare them of your own retaliation, and to bless them, that means that in the future you have the opportunity to bless and to bless and to bless all the families of the earth, all who were once enemies of God, to bless them and help bring them to friendship with God once again. Now that's good news. That is great news. Folks, thanks for being with us this morning. It's an important subject. It's a sobering subject and it's a challenging subject. Learn to love your enemies. Learn to put things in perspective. Put yourself aside. Put God's will through Jesus first in your life and act on it. Love your enemies as God loves you. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, love your enemies. Do it now. Till next week. Think about it.